So as we are getting going in our sermon series, Summer of Psalms, Matt actually uh, gave us a brief introduction to the book of Psalms, that it is comprised of 150 different uh, songs, prayers, laments, and anthems with different themes uh, for us to relate to and wrestle with so that we can worship God rightly. The Psalms help us lift our praises to God. They give us a voice to lament to God, and they lead us to give thanks to God. And so this morning, as we worship through God's word this morning, we're gonna be digging into a psalm of lament. It's Psalm 42. And typically, when we go to the book of Psalms, it's right in the middle of your Bible, just about. We tend to go towards psalms of praise or thanksgiving, and that's typically because it markets well. You know, you, you don't usually see, you know, Instagram pictures of, you know, Lord, I'm in agony. Lord, would you end this? You see the things that are like, your love is like doves, something like that. Uh, and that's because it markets well. Um, and so that's, it's not bad to go to Psalms of praise and thanksgiving. God put them there for a reason. Like, we're here this morning. We're back together this morning. We're singing together. I was choking up right there. Uh, and it's because that what we're doing here matters. And right now it can feel easy for us to smile and laugh and take joy in this social togetherness. Uh, hopefully even the introverts are into that right now. Uh, and so for some of us, coming back here is like coming up out of the water for a breath of fresh air. But in this morning's text, that's not where we're going to be. Psalm 42 will take us into the place of being submerged and being alone. And so at the beginning of the year when Aaron and the elder team had decided that he was going to go on sabbatical and we were going to do a Summer of Psalms sermon series, I had brought up Psalm 42 because that is one of my favorite psalms uh, that I go to when I feel desperate, when I feel down and lost and lonely. And little did I know we would experience a pandemic, quarantine, and isolation. And looking back on it now, I, I can't tell you how timely this is. So let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 42. Uh, for those of you who don't have a paper Bible or uh, don't have a digital Bible, we would encourage you to get those, but we will have uh, the text up on the screen for those of you joining us online, there is the Bible tab that you can go to and you can scroll over to Psalm 42. So let us read today. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so even before we get into the first verse, good catch, Luke, man. Before we get into the first verse, you might notice that there is somewhat of a heading there that describes it as being to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah were a group of priests that were charged with the ministry of singing. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19, says that the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. The second thing we notice is the word mascal. And so while it's not clear what that word means, uh, literally means, um, because it's transliterated, the word mascal comes from a Hebrew verb that means to make someone wise or to instruct. And that means that when this word is applied to the Psalms, it means that this song, this poem, this lament is supposed to instruct us in some way or lead us towards wisdom. And so we don't often think about how songs teach us. Most of the time, you know, uh, I think we can overlook how modern hymns such as The Solid Rock, Come Thou Fount, In Tenderness, In Christ Alone, and so on, how they shape our thoughts and make us feel and help us relate with God, with others, and even our very souls. Psalms are sung prayers written to awaken and express the emotional life of God's people. Laments in these psalms and in this mascal are written with the intent of teaching us how to wrestle with the tension of our thoughts and emotion. And this psalm wrestles with depression and discouragement. I think that perhaps the best way that we can start digging into the psalm is just take a brief overview of the psalmist's circumstance. He cries out to his enemies, or he cries out that his enemies say to him all the day long, where is your God? And towards the end of the psalm, he returns to this motif as his adversaries taunt him while they say to him all the day long, where is your God? And it's like he's in the position of when something has gone wrong, something even worse goes wrong. And his enemies have returned to throw it back in his face. He says it's like a deadly wound in his bones. 
So when his enemies are jeering him and taunting him and prodding him, where's your God? It's like the knife that slips between the ribs and twists. Where is your God now? He's externally oppressed. He describes himself as being cast down and in turmoil. In verses 5 and 11, he confesses, my tears have been my food day and night. He's so discouraged that he's not, he's not even just at the brink of tears. Tears are what he tastes. Tears are his food. He is so overwhelmed with sadness that he feels like he's drowning. He says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He is internally depressed. But in the midst of his external oppression and his internal depression, the psalmist is deeply hopeful. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says it again in verse 11. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so his external circumstances are oppressing. His internal emotional state is depressed and discouraged and downcast. But the psalmist will not back down in his struggle, in his battle for the hope that is in God. Now, I could probably just end the message right here. You know, we've read through the psalm, I've taken you through just a brief overview, and we've ended on an easily cheery note. When you're down, hope in God. But, that's not how things are. When we are depressed and discouraged, we cannot just move on but we are so used to songs nowadays that just are written in the sense of like, here's me, here's my problem, here's my solution. But if we notice this loop around in the psalm, how it doesn't just end in verse five when he's told himself to hope in God, we notice that there is this loop that he confesses he is still struggling in the muck and mire of discouragement and depression, despite chasing the hope and peace that is in God while he is in turmoil. Has he thrown in the towel? Has he given up? No. But he's being honest with us that he's not yet where he is fighting to be, that despite what he hopes in, he is not praising how he wants to yet praise God. And that is where we are going to sit in this psalm today. In the uneasy tension of hope and misery, of knowledge, of assurance of the hope, 
but yet not feeling the peace and joy that comes from that hope being fulfilled. And it's really the stuff we don't want to talk about. You know, when we come here on a Sunday morning, it's like, hey, how are you doing? In the back of your mind, you're thinking about the 50 things that went wrong, and all we can say is, good. Doing good. Good week. It was a great week. You? And it's the same story. That because it's a Sunday morning, and it's happy, and it's cheery, and we're back together again, that for some reason, we can't be honest. That we can't be real with our struggle. But because we know that the psalm was sung, not just in the bedroom of the psalmist who wrote it, but in the house of God with the people of God. And let's not forget that God was the one who put it in the Bible. There's so much more that we can learn from this psalm. If we watch and observe and learn how the psalmist struggles, and I don't mean just, you know, how he takes it, but how he's actively fighting for this hope while acknowledging the condition of his despairing soul, God will use that to shape our thoughts on the one hand and our emotions on the other hand so that we can come to him and worship in the midst of the storm. Or as one of the songs that we sing says, in between the thunder and the lightning. And we will be strengthened through the struggle. The apostle Peter wrote about this in his epistle. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the testing or the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're gonna look at how the psalmist responds to depression and discouragement in his life. And so first in the psalm, if you've got it open, you'll see that he first draws near to God. Since the psalms use uh, poetic imagery, he is likening himself to a deer that is panting and thirsting for a drink of water in those first couple verses. All right, kids, now this is for you. Have you ever played outside for so long? You just had so much fun. You've been running around. You've been jumping up and down. And you're just suddenly exhausted. Boom. Confirm. Confirm in the back. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when you're exhausted and you're thirsty? You rest and you take a drink. Trudge to the front door. Get a glass of water. Amen. Uh, I remember growing up, 
I grew up on a dairy farm just northeast of town. And one of the things we did every summer was baling hay. Uh, and so there's kind of two processes with that. There is uh, baling the hay and then storing the hay. And so the first cut of hay always went up into the silo, but every cut after that uh, was you know, chopped up, compacted into a 50-pound bale, and thrown up into the barn. And so one fundamental essential part of that job was making sure you had a bottle of water. Because if, you know, just imagine you're on this wooden hay rack that's jostling in the middle of a bumpy field and it's hot and humid. <laughs> and while that's happening, there's a machine in front of the hay rack that's popping out bales, and you've got to walk on that bumpy uh, hay rack, and you've got to pick up that 50-pound bale, and you've got to lift it maybe sometimes four, six, eight feet as you're stacking them, and then you've got to run back and do it again because it just keeps coming, and it never stops. If you don't have a bottle of water between you know, each hay rack that you do, you might die of heat stroke, and that's not a joke. And so in that second part where you're putting it up in the barn, you know, it's still hot and humid in the hay mow. And so while you are seeing bales come up off the bale elevator, you're racing to try to find a, a nice spot to compact them in. Well, you got to go back up the hill and get them, and it's just a never-ending cycle. If you do not have water, you're going to die of heat exhaustion. Or as my wife says, it's hydrate or didrate. And so this poetic imagery that he uses of an exhausted deer that has been panting and thirsting and longing for a drink of water. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before God? He's honest. He's saying, God, I need you. I'm so thirsty, so physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained that right now experiencing your presence is like sipping from a stream that refreshes my soul. And we are the same way sometimes. For me, these past few months of uh, you know, the quarantine and the isolation and having to postpone our in-person gatherings. Uh, it has really brought to my attention how desperately I need God and I need to be surrounded by God's people. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a wonderful wife. I have loved mostly every mo moment of this quarantine uh, with the slight chance that we may get on each other's nerves. Mostly it's my fault. Um, but I still need God. I need to experience his presence. Um, luckily, Grace and I were blessed to uh, have jobs that were cons considered essential. We've had a roof over our heads. We've been able to uh, buy food and drink. But we still need the presence of God in our lives. If we don't have God's presence pouring into our lives, we will be like a hitchhiker with no destination in mind, going from one destination 
to the next, never feeling fully satisfied because no one satisfies like God satisfies. Second, we read that the psalmist cries out to God. In verse three, he says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So again, imagine being absolutely exhausted. Your body feels useless. Your emotional capacity to deal with stuff is shot and you are simply spiritually running on empty. And all that your body can concoct is tears for fuel. It's not satisfying at all. Has anybody ever tasted their tears? Tears are salty. If anyone has ever, uh, you know, gone out to sea and tasted seawater, hopefully by accident, you will realize that there is plenty of it, but none of it is good for you. None of it will nourish you the way that fresh water will. And at the same time, at his lowest point, he is being mocked by his enemies. He cries out again in verses 9 and 10, God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And so I want to address a couple things about uh, what he's saying. The word he uses, forgotten, is an overstatement and he knows it. He doesn't actually believe that God has forgotten him because if we look at the previous verse, in verse eight, it says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me. And we see in the psalm how even when he is experiencing the worst, his gaze is drawn back to God by God. What he means is that it looks like and feels like God has abandoned him. But, I mean, if God remembers him, why aren't his oppressors being dealt with? Why aren't they being punished? And I think it would be wonderful if we could all be so uh, careful and composed when we express our discouragements, that we never say anything amiss, anything out of place, anything that is not 100% theologically correct. When we are overwhelmed with our emotions, we are not always careful with the words we use. Amen? We even see in the book of Job that after Job has suffered for seemingly no reason at all, his friends come by not to comfort him, but to criticize him and try to reason some way to explain away his, uh, his suffering. And he says this in uh, chapter 6, verse 26. Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? What he's saying is, don't jump on the word of someone at the end of the rope. Sometimes we need to give people time, air to vent their anger and frustration 
and despair. Just let it go. He says, they are wind. There will be plenty of time to uh, discern deeper convictions of the heart. In time, those words will blow away because those words are wind. Sometimes people don't uh, need you to give them the answer when they're in pain. They just need you to listen. They need you to be present with them and hearing them rather than trying to think up some reason why they deserved to suffer. And the other thing we find here um, is that it's okay to ask God, why? It's okay to ask God, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is a legitimate question. The psalmist may not have asked God in the 100% theologically correct way or even with the right words. But if the psalmist proves in time that he didn't mean that God had actually abandoned him, they're words for the wind. And like the wind, they come and go. The psalmist teaches us to cry out to God. Third, we read that the psalmist remembers God and God's people. He says in verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng. The word throng, uh, it means crowd. And lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Okay, now I want to level with everyone here this morning. What we do here matters. The memories that we forge here and the friendships that we have here matter. In this past few months, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit, even though I've enjoyed being able to come here on a Friday night or Saturday morning uh, and record in front of a camera, it does not compare to being able to sing these songs with you to sing these gospel truths with you. In the past, I've been able to uh, record in a booth for what seems like hours on end with no one else in the room. And I would still prefer, rather than putting out some album or some song that, you know, might, you know, reach somebody somewhere, I would rather to share that with people presently. I remember when uh, there was one time uh, my band Redeeming Rebels was doing our summer church tour uh, years ago. And my voice came out at the beginning of the song. It just cut out. It was dry. I hadn't, you know, drank a ton of water and it just cut out. And so what I remember most about that moment, about that worship leader's worst nightmare is that when I was struggling to lead, 
when I was struggling to get my voice working. It was the voices of my fellow brothers and sisters that carried me in that song. And I want you to know that the memories we form here matter. Here in this place and soon in the new building, I want you to know that the, that the memories that we share together are a blessing for now and an encouragement for later. I, I really got to stress, do not take these times together lightly. I think I have freaked out Riley and Tobias Hindman by telling them, I have missed you guys so much because I mean it. Like, if I came up to you and I freaked you out, I'm sorry, but I've missed you. What we do here in corporate worship is a real transaction with the living God. God's purposes for these times together with him are to preserve our faith now and in some way that we remember them later. What we're doing here is not just experiences. This psalm is not teaching us to just engage in nostalgia. Bible teacher, preacher, and former pastor John Piper says in regards to verse four, if corporate worship were not a real supernatural work of God, it would be pure sentimentalism for the psalmist to remember his experiences. He is confirming his faith in the midst of turmoil and discouragement by remembering how real God was in corporate worship. I have deeply missed worshiping our great God with you in person. And recently it is, it is really felt lonely and depressing uh, that we had to, to postpone these meetings until now when it was safe. But remembering these times together, no matter how short they may seem, we usually take about an hour or so They've mattered to me so much and I bet I'm not alone in that this morning. And I bet you've done your best to adapt to the times to, uh, you know, well, we switched to online, that was pretty easy. But over time, I bet that that war, that the reason you're here is to worship God with God's people as he commands us to do. And over these past few months, I bet you have you know, thought back to memories in this place of singing together or maybe even a conversation. I bet you remember the first time you hugged Sam Schaefer and it was like a free chiropractic appointment. <laughs> Kids, I'm sure you have thought, when am I going to see Soli and Liza again? When am I going to get to hang out with Joa again? When am I going to get to see and uh, play with uh, Corbin and Mason again? These times together, these memories made, these relationships really matter. And I am deeply grateful that we get to worship together again this morning. And for those of you joining us online, we can't wait to see you again. We can't wait to have you back in this place and hear your voices praising God 
as we engage in worship through song and worship through the word and worship through communion. If we look back at the psalm in verse six, he confesses again, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you, O God, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. So in despairing times, how can we hope in God? By remembering what God has done. I mean, what Bridget taught, look what God has done, how he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come in our place, that he lived perfectly, that he died sinlessly, and that he rose again victoriously so that we may have life in him, so that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit and reconciled to God the Father. The psalmist recalls and affirms God's love in verse eight. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The Lord's love is sovereign. Even though it looks like and feels like God has forgotten him, the psalmist presses into that undeniable love of God that reigns 24-7. In the morning when he wakes up, God has filled him with his love, giving him strength to seize the day. At night when he goes to bed, God is singing over him, helping him to sleep after a long and difficult day. And he is constantly in prayer and he's constantly talking with God and how remiss we would be to miss out on the communion we have with God in Jesus Christ who intercedes and prays and remembers and loves us. This only matters because only in God will we ever be truly satisfied and God alone, not what you've done, not what your past has been, not where you've been, not what you said, but God alone is our hope, the God of our salvation. And I want you to catch uh, what the psalmist says in verse seven. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In other words, his external oppression and his internal depression and the spiritual turmoil he's facing are the waves of God. He never loses grip on the great truths of God that God is the one who both made the waves and is the one who keeps him from sinking and drowning. And so I want to encourage you that in spite of what has happened in your life, whatever you have lost, however you have been hurt, in and through all the troubles and all the waves of life that have come crashing down over you, remember that God's love is sovereign over it all. We serve a God who rules the wind and waves. Amen? And finally, this is my favorite part, because I'm the worship guy. We read that the psalmist 
sings to God. Back in verse 8, when he says, At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Psalm 42 is not a song about presently rejoicing in hope. If you get from this psalm that like, well, I'm depressed, but hope in God. It'll be nice and cheery and resolved all too soon. Psalm 42 is a song about pleading and finding holy satisfaction in God in hopes that someday we will be able to praise God with unhindered spirits. This is a psalm that teaches us how to preach the gospel to ourselves in the midst of spiritual depression. Now you're thinking, um, I thought you were doing the preaching. I'm not, I, I'm not supposed to preach to myself. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? And so often what we can do is when we wake up in the day, we hear voices and Someone's talking to us. Our thoughts are talking to us, bringing back the troubles from yesterday. And so what we see in verses 5 and 11 is that the psalmist is preaching to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. We spend more time listening to ourselves than talking to ourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself. Do you know it? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the good news of Jesus Christ is? Sometimes you just need to say when you're just in the dumps of life, self, you listen to me. God is for you, so who can be against you? God, who he himself did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also give you all things with Jesus Christ? Who can come against you? Jesus Christ, who died and was raised to life again, is at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. Because of God in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. Singing these songs together is an act of corporate worship, not just in singing the truths about God, but also preaching the gospel, the good news of God to and among our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as your worship leader, the main thing I want you to uh, leave here with every time we gather, every time we go, is I, I want you to remember the gospel so that as you're going about your workday, as you are uh, bumping into that coworker who gives you trouble, as you're enduring a job that you may not 100% enjoy, that these gospel songs will follow you. That you can hum that tune. On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. That when you experience sadness and loss and pain and suffering, that we would do as the psalmist does, that you would draw near to God. 
that you would pour out your heart to God, that you would remember how he graciously saved you, what he has done for you, that you would sing to God in these tough times and in seeing Christ who has done these things, see the face of God. Because in all things, our hope is in God, the living God who, like a stream of water to the weary and thirsty soul, gives us holy satisfaction. Let us pray together. God, we ask you. We plead with you. Will you increase our hunger, our thirst, our desire for you? Lord, take away everything that tries to compete for our affections and make your presence evident and known to us in this place and beyond these walls. Will you help us to cry out to you, not holding onto the pride of looking tough, but coming to you like you ask your children to? Lord, when we are exhausted, will you refresh our souls with the truth of your gospel? Lord, remind us of the work your son, Jesus Christ, has already done for us, taking our place on the cross and exchanging to us your grace. God, we ask you to help us to sing when our hearts are full, but especially when they are heavy and burdened. Help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to bear one another's burdens, God. We ask for your careful comfort. We ask for your peace that we don't understand. But first and foremost, God, we, we long to be satisfied in you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.